Our scripture lesson comes from Gospel of the Mark, chapter one, first, let us pray. Holy Spirit, startle us. Star our hearts as we hear the scriptures read and your word proclaimed. And silence any voice in us by your own, that we may hear you speaking to us still, here and now, amen. So John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance. For the forgiveness of sins and the whole Judean region and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the straps of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And, and just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove upon him. And a voice came from the heavens, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Shandon. It is so good to see you all again, and I am delighted to be able to preach for you and to see new and old faces. But since I am here as a preacher this morning, let's go ahead and take a look at our text. So we heard a little bit from Laura Evelyn that was from Mark chapter 1. And I think that this reading ends in a really peculiar place. Now, I find it odd not because it's out of order for the story, but because of how the church calendar invites us to look at certain texts in the gospel. So we heard this lovely story of Jesus arriving at the river to be baptized. The heavens unfold and the very voice of God descends like a dove saying, this is my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. But it's followed by Jesus being whisked away by the Holy Spirit and pushed out into the wilderness. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the story of the baptism of Jesus, I'm not exactly thinking of him being sent into the wilderness immediately after. So the wilderness story that follows is this story of Jesus's temptation. And he's tempted with different opportunities for totalitarian power and for fame. And he resists all of them because of his commitment to the work of God's justice in the world. We reserve the wilderness story for Lent, and we use it to explain why Christians give things up during that time. So the story is pulled away from its connection to baptism between the lectionary and the church calendar, and we don't read these stories together very often. Now, these structures have traditionally divorced his baptism from being sent into the wilderness. And so what I wish to do with you all this morning is to rupture these divisions. I want to suggest that it is because Jesus is baptized that he is sent to the very site of risk out in the wilderness. And even more so, I want to say that because we are claimed as beloved children of God, we have an obligation to similar risks. But first, let's look at the baptism piece of things. It's one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. And if seminary has done anything for me so far, it's made me develop really strong opinions about <laughs> baptism. 
And in this process, I have fallen deeply in love with how we Presbyterians express its meaning. We recognize baptism as a symbol of being claimed by God, of being a beloved child of God, and every baptism is an affirmation of this marvelous truth. But our theology doesn't stop there. We believe that baptism places a certain call on the Christian life. And our church's constitution, which is called the Book of Order, says that baptism also represents God's call to justice and righteousness, rolling down like a mighty stream. When we are baptized, we are made one with Christ, with one another, and with the church of every time and place. In Christ, barriers of race, status, and gender are overcome. We are called to seek reconciliation in the church and in the world. You might see then why I am so drawn to how Mark tells the story of Jesus' baptism. Jesus comes to the Jordan River, is baptized, and as he comes up, he is called a beloved child of God. And in that moment, the Spirit descends upon him and puts a call on his life. In Mark's gospel, this baptism is the moment that Jesus begins his ministry. And his formation, the formation of his call, begins with one, being claimed by God, and two, being tested and sharpened out in the wilderness as he resists temptation. Now Mark sees these two things as absolutely related. To be a beloved, of child, to be a beloved child of God, which we all are, is to be sent by the Holy Spirit into a life of risk. This means that being claimed by God asks something profoundly difficult of Christian life. There are certain risks that God asks us to take in order to pursue justice and righteousness for the world. And baptism is one moment when this call is ignited within us. Perhaps these risks are best articulated in Isaiah 61. Now this is the chapter that Jesus quotes to describe his calling in the Gospel of Luke. And the first verse reads, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and release to the prisoners. Now, I don't know about you all, but this sounds like quite the risky call to me. There is always something to lose in the pursuit of liberation. And according to Christ, this is what his ministry looks like. Jesus' own call is for the freedom of oppressed peoples, and it is sparked by the commitment made at baptism and sharpened by his testing and resistance out in the wilderness. Now, I am convinced that the lives of Christ's followers are supposed to look similarly. Perhaps one of the people who gets this best is the German theologian and priest Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He is considered one of the most important Protestant theologians of the 20th century, and he was born in 1906 to a non-religious family, but by the time he turned 14, he had decided he would one day become a Christian minister. Now later, Bonhoeffer began training as a theologian in the Reformed Church, and following his studies in Berlin, he left for the United States in the 1920s. Now here in the US, Bonhoeffer visited black churches across the country during segregation to see how they bore witness to the freedom the gospel proclaims 
at a time when their culture and government denied that freedom for them. His experience with the black church led him to believe Christians have a responsibility to address injustice in the world. But in 1933, back in his homeland of Germany, Bonhoeffer's concerns with injustice became intensified as Hitler was elected to office. So following the establishment of the Nazi regime in Germany, Bonhoeffer and other reformed priests and theologians risked everything in joining and creating something called the Confessing Church. The Confessing Church was a secret network of Christians that trained ministers and theologians to resist fascism under Hitler's rule. And Bonhoeffer was one of these people. He was incredibly outspoken about the church's role in opposing fascism, but the Nazi party had been working in Germany to consolidate the German church. And so the Confessing Church put out an appeal to the church at large, the whole church in Germany. And it's entitled The Theological Declaration of Barmen, not that you ever need to remember that, but it's one of the statements included in the constitution of our own denomination. Now this statement essentially outlines the Christian obligation to speak out against injustice. And it says, we may not keep silent since we believe that we have been given a common message to utter in a time of common need and temptation. It entreats all whom it concerns to return to the unity of faith, love, and hope. I love that line, faith, love, and hope. Now Bonhoeffer and his fellow Christian resistors followed the Spirit's call to speak out. And in 1943, they were arrested for conspiring against the German regime. Their work was entirely rooted in how they understood the calling on Christian life by the Holy Spirit. Christian life is a challenging thing. When we acknowledge our belovedness in the eyes of God, perhaps in a moment of baptism or perhaps in your day-to-day -day life, the Spirit whisks us out of our comfort zone and pushes us into a wilderness space, into a space where we must be ready to take risks for the justice of all God's people. This is the call placed on Christian life at the very moment of baptism, even Christ's own baptism. And when we affirm that we belong to God in these waters, we are essentially showing the world we are indeed the hands and feet of Christ. We are here to show the world the endless and expansive love of God, and we are here to bring it at all costs. God's desire for the world is love, justice, and reconciliation. Jesus knew this when he was baptized, and he spent his life working throughout the Gospels to demonstrate how we can do that too. Because our lives are for Christ, it is our responsibility to work together for love. Now sometimes the church gets that part wrong. And that is why I'm grateful to be in a reformed tradition like the Presbyterian Church, because we perpetually seek to reform ourselves. Unfortunately, we have historically supported instances of injustice, or there are times where we have failed to open the love of Christ to all people, but our tradition encourages us to always question what we do and what we believe 
to refine and reform our theology as the Spirit leads us closer and closer to God's vision of love. So we, re we rewrite and we rework and we reconceive the doctrines we hold on to. And when our theologies don't match what God is actually calling us to, we write something new. This is precisely what the Confessing Church did in Germany, and it's what our own church has done many times over the years. Now, the most recent statement our Presbyterian Church has written was in 1988, and it's called A Brief Statement of Faith. So I want us to end this morning reading part of it and affirming our faith together. As the movement of the Holy Spirit is in this space and in this time, this is a lovely introduction to just what we Presbyterians believe about how the Spirit works in the world. So if you open your bulletin, you'll see an affirmation of faith printed under the sermon title, and I invite you to read it with me. So let us affirm our faith together with one voice saying, we trust in God, the Holy Spirit, everywhere the giver and renewer of life. In a broken and fearful world, the Spirit gives us courage to pray without ceasing, to witness among all peoples to Christ as Lord and Savior, to unmask idolatries in church and culture, to hear the voices of people long silenced, and to work with others for justice, freedom, and peace. In gratitude to God, empowered by the Spirit, we strive to serve Christ in our daily tasks and to live holy and joyful lives, even as we watch for God's new heaven and new earth, praying, come, Lord Jesus. My friends, the Spirit of God is indeed at work, and it calls us perpetually toward the love of God for all people. And whether this is something you already know in your heart or something that was ignited for you at your baptism, know that it is true. Amen.